it is a world that we live in that has a lot of problems. Would you not agree? I mean, we're surrounded by a lot of problems. We're surrounded by all kinds of conditions that try us on a lot of levels, from a lot of directions, uh, from a lot of angles. Life is, as they would say, a real trip <laughs> in many cases because we have a, a lot of concerns uh, that we find ourselves contending with as we go through the due course of our life's circumstances and conditions. I mean, we, we concern ourselves about aging. Uh, I didn't think about aging when I was 20, 25. Now I'm starting to, get, starting to get my attention a little bit as you get a little bit older, you know, and you hear of individuals uh, passing away here, uh, individuals that were mentors of you coming up in the church as a young man who now are passing. And as I had opportunity this last week to spend a little time with Bronson James, uh, I was mentioning to Bronson how he and I are moving up in the line for the next group of guys to hit the dirt, as they would say, uh, and pass on. So uh, it is something that uh, many of us toy with in our minds as we get older, of course. We uh, concern ourselves with our health and caregiving. We have a lot of worries from time to time that come up, whether it be in money, education, whether it be in our career, considerations about moving. You can just imagine all the trouble and things that are on people's minds down there in Houston about the things that they've lost, how they're going to recover their home, how they're going to recover that, the money that they're going to try to get out of it, the insurance companies they're going to, have to deal with, and all the on and on and on we go. Uh, being human the way we are in dealing with so much that we have to deal with. So the question is, how do we deal with these things? How do we handle these issues that we find ourselves facing from time to time? And certainly uh, God, of course, is very interested in how we approach things. That is a very important thing that he's viewing and looking at in terms of how we deal with the things that we find ourselves uh, surrounded with and, of course, how we approach certain things. Mental outlook, brethren, mental outlook, the way you deal with tragedy, crises, and or even good things, positive things, successes, um, windfalls, tell God a lot about you. How you handle success and how you handle tragedy, how you handle crises, and how you handle as I say, windfall opportunities tell a lot about a person in respect to what they are like, what they're made of, and how they are indeed uh, uh, approaching certain things. And it's important for us, in many respects, to show God that we are indeed growing in the grace and the knowledge that he has given us. And today I want to take some time to talk a bit about the spiritual aspects behind the scenes that are going on in our lives because God is absolutely involved in our lives. He sees us. He's mentoring us. He is driving circumstances, conditions, and situations that we find ourselves confronted by to help develop and to help bring us to the fruition he wants us to, to the maturing level that he wants us to achieve and accomplish. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. It's hard. Sometimes uh, 
what we find ourselves facing with causes us to whine, <laughs> causes us to complain. Uh, sometimes we don't understand what's going on and we wonder why is God allowing this to occur when in fact sometimes God really doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. Oftentimes we ourselves bring things upon ourselves by virtue, and you've heard me say this many times before, the choices and decisions we make in our lives. Unfortunately, we find ourselves in God's way more often than we'd probably like to admit. And if we'd just allow God to have his way with us, we'd probably make our lives a lot simpler. But, unfortunately, uh, that's not always the case. And, of course, it's not always the case either in the sense that uh, we can become victims from time to time with regards to circumstances beyond our control. I mean, there was no way the people in Houston had any control over that Hurricane Harvey coming into their neighborhood the way it did. But all things being considered, I want to bring your attention here at the outset of this presentation to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to bring this to your minds and underscore a lot of what I'm going to explore today in this presentation with this as a platform to build from and to keep in mind that in due respect to your life, the conditions you find your life in, the things that you're struggling with, all things considered, this underscores something that you can be assured from God's point of view will always be, will always be provided to you. And here it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this in verse, breaking into the context, 11, talking about the first 10 verses that were read, uh, which I'm not going to read. You can do that uh, at your own leisure. But in summary, verse 11, he says, Now all these things happened, that is, all these things in the Old Testament about the Red Sea opening up and how the nation of Israel was baptized and so forth and so on. All these things happened unto them. For examples, and they are written for our mild rebuke or our understanding or to get our attention, our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls, which is a kind of a, a warning to don't you know, uh, lean too much on your past laurels. Always be vigilant about staying on your game. Don't get too preoccupied with your successes. It's okay to maybe give a high five, you know, and do a little dance in the end zone from time to time as you do accomplish certain things, but don't let that distract you and get your mind off the ball because guess what? As I've often said, life comes at you fast, and before you know it, as you catch one ball, here comes another one right at you. So keep that in mind. As he says here, wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, verse 13, here's where I want to go with this. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There's nothing that has happened to you that's extraordinary, that hasn't happened before to somebody else. So, considering that, but God is faithful, who will not permit, that's what the word suffer means, Greek uh, means permit, to allow basically you to be tempted, above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to get out, to make a way to deal with it. 
whatever it may be, that you may be able, get this, to bear it. The fact of it is, though, we've got to look for it sometimes, and admittedly, sometimes the conditions and circumstances can get pretty tough and oftentimes blind us from where the lesson really is in the set of circumstances we're being dealt. And I get that. But the fact of it is, this is assured to all of us. And it's important and incumbent on all of us, brethren, to believe that. God, as I've said, is the best coach we could ever have. He'll never cause you to do something that is outside of your capability. We're going to talk a little bit about what God does in order to teach us about our capabilities. But before I do, I want to reemphasize what we just read over here in chapter 15 of the book of John. Keep this in mind, because here again we are told what God is up to, what he does, and how sometimes he does it isn't always perhaps what we'd like to happen, what we would like to see dealt with, but nevertheless, God knows best. The question is, as Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this, Martha? And I say that figuratively speaking to all of us, you on the Internet as well. Do we believe the things that we really read? What, do we believe what we just read in Corinthians? And do we believe this, John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, my father's the husbandman. Every branch, you're the branch, by the way, in this, this uh, story here. Every branch in me, that is, who's with me, especially those of you who are baptized, uh, me that bears not fruit, he's going to take away. Just because you're a Christian, you're warming a seat, you're keeping the Sabbath, you're paying your tithes, you're doing what you should do, you don't eat pork anymore, you do all these things, I keep the holy day, da 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 Guess what? That'll get you a donut and a cup of coffee. The fact of it is, if you don't keep keeping on, you will lose your salvation. Christians can lose their salvation. We're all at risk, brethren, until we get into our place of safety, the grave, in many respects. But that's another story. Point being here, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, look at this. He purges it. Now that is broad. <laughs> How he purges it is really the question. <laughs> I mean, that is really at the heart of the whole situation, you know. Those who bear fruit, guess what he does? He pushes you to get more out of you. Heard a sermon many years ago by Ron Dart. It was titled, God Will Spend You. Yes, he will. As you bear fruit, he wants that fruit spread. And so he will provide more opportunities for you to serve in those areas where he believes that you can bring edification, blessings, balance, information, whatever, happiness, joy, testing, challenging to others. That's important for you to recognize. As you bear fruit, God will purge you. And he goes on that it may bring forth more fruit. So then the more fruit you bring forth, guess what? The more purging occurs. He lights you up, in other words. The more you light up, the more he lights up. It's like a good coach. Way to go, good catch. Can you do it again? It's never enough. It's always more, 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 because guess what? God wants to maximize your gifts. 
He wants to maximize your talents. He wants you to maximize your full potential. And remember, we're saved by grace, but rewarded by works. So it's important. We grasp this concept. And here, in this particular case, in verse 3, he says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken uh, to you. 8, Romans 8. Real quickly here, we went through the Bible study in Romans. Uh, and don't forget, every Tuesday we have uh, that uh, Bible study. And Wednesday, we'll be starting up this week uh, at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 Central Time. During the week, Bible studies, uh, podcasting on Tuesday and a webcast live in real time on Wednesday at 7.30 by Adrian Davis out of Canada. But here in Romans chapter 8, we read this in verse, in verse uh, 31 where he says this. What shall uh, we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And that's true. We need to be assured of that. If God is for us, who can be against us? But I understand sometimes circumstances don't always seem to portray that reality. But guess what? The next fact is, is this is very important because this is what it's all about, brethren. This is what is underscoring a lot of what we experience in our life. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, and in verse 6. There's an objective here that God is driving toward. God is wanting us to get this message very clear and very plainly. A lot of the things we find ourselves dealing with in our life, the things that we find ourselves being tested and challenged by. And by the way, there are no problems. They're all challenges. Keep that in mind. They're opportunities. They're not problems. Be more positive. You've heard that old song, Accentuate the Positive. Accentuate the positive. You don't have problems. You have challenges and you have opportunities. Every opportunity is a challenge to improve. And hopefully God will help you to see where the improvement is. And part of that agenda is this, right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is what much of it's all about. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. So, for uh, he that comes to God must, this is mandated, must believe that he is. And that he is, that he is, it's a mandate, that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's hard. I get that. We're physical. We're human. We're, we're carnal-minded. We like to digest things through our senses so that we can validate the actuality of the things we experience. You're asking me to believe in something I can't see? something I can't digest through my five senses other than reading these words, of course. But then from here, I have to transition into a reality that is spiritual. I get it. That's difficult because I'm carnal. It goes against my nature. We read about that, studied about it as we went through the book of Romans, line upon line. Our nature is to be meat-headed. <laughs> we're carnal. We're, we're physical. We're, we're from the orientation of the, uh, what you could say, 
material world and consequently uh, is very important for us to see, touch, feel, taste, and so on uh, in our life in order for us to really believe that something's real. I can believe this lectern's real because I can hit it. You can hear it. You know, I can feel it. <laughs> you know? But uh, the point of it is it's real because I understand I can confirm, I can affirm, I can validate because I can see it, digest it. But Peter says this over here in 1 Peter about faith. And it's important that we get this as we proceed through this understanding that our life's circumstances, though we don't see the lesson maybe at first, must understand, one, we'll never be tested beyond that which we cannot handle, two, there is a lesson, three, God's got our best interest at heart, and four, it's all about whether or not do you believe that. Because why? It's important to God you do. He wants a relationship. It's important for my grandson, when I was encouraging him to go up a rock, and he was scared out of his wits. He's a little guy. He's eight years old now, but at this time he was probably about five. And I had him climbing a rock. It wasn't a big rock, but I mean, it was big to him. And he was whining and crying and saying he couldn't do it and all of this. And I had his best interest at heart because I wanted him to be courageous. I didn't want him to be fearful. I wanted him to be fearless. So what did I do? Did I hold him? No, I backed away from him. I said, go ahead, cry, whine. Get up the rock. Get up the rock. And guess what? He finally did. And then I didn't really compliment him. You may say, well, Bill, wow, you're being tough. You're tough on him. But I, I didn't really, I mean, I congratulated him that he got to the top of the rock. But then I said, you know what? You need to really think about this, Preston, the way you did it. The way you did it. You cried, you moaned, you bellyate, you whined. You doubted yourself all the way up. I said, you know what? I think we ought to do it again. So I took him back down, and I said, go up there. And guess what he did? <laughs> he went right up, not whining or anything. And I got up there and clapped for him because he did it really good. That's what life's all about, brethren. It's about learning the curves, learning the bends, learning the depths, learning the heights. But it's not always just accomplishing the task positively. It's not always about that. It's about how did you do it? You know, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, you know. I've often said, you know, in offerings, you know, okay, it's time to make the offerings. And you, you write your check, and it's, it's like, you know, uh, Whoopi Goldberg in that movie, Ghost, you know, where she was holding the nun with the check, and she's going like this because she didn't want to give it to the, to the nun. And, you know, people are given the money, but uh, they're not really wanting to, so to speak. Attitude is very important to God, and he sees this. And here in Peter, we see what this is all about is regard, uh, regarding this faith issue. Blessed be the God, this is verse 3 now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And that's the lively hope, the fact that Christ resurrected, so it is for us. We're going to be resurrected. That is the promise. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. What's that all about? It's about immortality. The hope is that we will be resurrected as an immortal and become a being who will be indeed rewarded with life eternal, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein... You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, 
If need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Remember, faith is underscoring this. Yes, you will from time to time in this physical life be held down, sometimes attempted to be held back, sometimes have exercised pain upon you in heavy, it says here, manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. These are all characterizations, figures of speech, to illustrate to us some of the difficulties we may find ourselves facing from time to time through the course of our lives. But the objective is the building of your faith, the building of your relationship with God, to drive you closer to God, to lean on Him, to let Him be able to be your security, to let Him be there for you to develop the strength of mind and character to deal with and work through the circumstance that you may find yourself faced with. And so it is here in verse 7, let me reiterate the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, who having not seen whom, having not seen whom, you have not seen, you have not seen Christ. You've heard about him. You haven't seen him. You know about him, but you haven't seen him. But you're building, hopefully, this belief in something you don't see. Look at this. Whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Compare yourself to that expectation. Is that what we do when we find ourselves faced with trials? I dare say sometimes, and probably more often we'd like to admit, we're feeling sorry for ourselves, and we complain, bellyache, and whine about the things that we're dealing with as opposed to really being happy about the things that we're experiencing. Oh, I'm so happy I'm being tried, you know. I'm, I'm so happy I'm being faced with this temptation or this particular uh, situation and set of circumstances. I'm so grateful for the struggle in my life against this particular sin that I'm dealing with for the last 10 years. But in all due respect, what Peter is telling us here is that to look at that as the tool to drive you into the reality of believing in Christ and God's promises more real in more actuality. So the spiritual realm that we're being told from this word is indeed more real because that's what it's about. We need to make this transition psychologically in our lifestyles uh, to where we begin to accept and understand that God has a great purpose in our lives and is working it through the circumstances we find ourselves uh, being faced with in the course of our lives. Verse 9, he says here, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired. Look at this. The prophets inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, in other words, they didn't understand it all in totality, they understood it in part, but, but frankly, we're really kind of still in the dark. It was very ambiguous to them, comparably speaking, to what you understand and what you comprehend and what you've had revealed to you. In other words, we're in a better position to understand what Isaiah understood. 
were in a better position to understand what the plan of salvation was than Jeremiah understood. You have a better 2020 shot at envisioning this plan of God and the destiny of humankind and what God is doing and reproducing himself than what Micah had. That's pretty mind-boggling. And not only that, look at this, it gets better. Notice this, verse 12. Unto whom was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel, meaning the apostles and so forth, unto you with the Holy Spirit sent uh, from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Even they are kind of looking at this, wondering, what in the world? These gumby beings called humans are on their way to become children of God, sons of God? Wow. It's an amazing, amazing thing here, brethren, that you understand the things you do. And even the spirit world is amazed at this plan. And some of the old prophets, Old Testament prophets, never had the view that you have uh, today in this 21st century. So understand something, and this is no... Uh, new news to any of us here in the room. God is the potter, we're the clay. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And God is overlooking and overseeing, involved, intervening from time to time, personally in your lives, through many venues, by many avenues. And so from time to time, in thinking about God, and how he's doing these things, there are certain goals he has for you and for me that he wants to achieve in our lives. Because again, remember, the biggest thing God wants for us is to enter into his kingdom. And no matter what it takes, his biggest concern is to protect you from failing that. to protect you from failing that. Like a dad. And remember, we have license to call him Abba Father. Romans chapter 8, remember? Our spirit bears witness with God's spirit in us that we can have a relationship with God to where we can actually call him Daddy. And so our dad, if I can be so bold as to ingratiate that uh, kind of endearing term, is looking out for us and consequently will from time to time, just like, as I said, any coach would want to maximize the ability and skill of whatever game you're being coached in. Or like I did, that little nuance of a story I just mentioned to you that I did with Preston. Simple objective. I wanted him to get up on top of that rock by himself. I didn't want my hand to touch him. I wanted him to do it and figure out how to do it and have the courage to compel himself, motivate himself to get to the top. And it wasn't a big rock. I mean, I was right there with him. But the point was, though, when he accomplished it, he felt pretty good by it. He was only five years old and he did it. And that meant more to him than it would have if I would have held him and pushed him up there, holding him and guarding him because it wouldn't have taught him what I was hoping he would learn. And certainly it happened. The second time he went up, he went up without the belly aching, the whining, and the crying. But here, Peter says these things, and consequently, uh, it's very important that we see and understand that these are indeed important to God, that is, the building of this faith. 
James corroborates what Peter just mentions here in chapter 1, a few pages before Peter. In James chapter 1, the uh, servant James of God and Lord Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, indicating, of course, James is writing to the lost tribes of Israel, all 12 of them. And he says here, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Count it all joy. That's the expectation. He says, Know this, that the trying of your faith, here's a big key, and this is where we sometimes fall off the log. The trying of your faith affords the development of patience, waiting on God. So often we get impatient and intervene ourselves and sometimes get in God's way, quite frankly. We need to learn to, if we're heavily burdened, what does Jesus say? Come unto me, you who are heavily burdened. I'll give you rest. And I'm not going to go into a lot of depth of that, but do keep in mind it would certainly merit a nice study on what those Greek words mean and what Jesus was actually really driving at in terms of encouraging us to come to him so that we could enjoy that relief that comes with knowing full well that God's got our back. God's got our back. And he's got it with our best interests at heart. He really does. He's a loving God. He's not an abusive father. He's not an abusive dad. He's a loving dad. He's a loving father and understands exactly what we need. Half-brother of Jesus finishes out here in verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may uh, be perfect and entire, uh, and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, complete, that you might be able to maximize your gifts and your talents, allowing God to have his way with you through you affording yourself to exercise patience and waiting on God then allows you to enjoy or at least be edified of the spiritual value of what you're going through. Everything we go through, brethren, especially, especially if there's something that we may be a bit uncomfortable with, there's a lesson involved. I think it's fair to say that you can be sure in many respects. If you're outside of your comfort zone, look for the lesson. There's a lesson to be learned. Even if it deals with successes, you don't always have to think about the negative. Maybe how you, how you handle when you win the lottery. That would be a real trial for some of us. <laughs> the point of it is, bottom line, maybe you can't handle it, so you'll never win the lottery. I don't know. <laughs> and God knows that. You know? So consequently, you won't be uh, winning any uh, lottery numbers. But here's my point. We need to understand that God does indeed have our back and that he is indeed the potter and does, in fact, have goals and legitimate objectives concerning you and me. So, I want to give you some points to consider, to cut God some consideration when we ourselves are faced with certain things we find ourselves contending with in our lives. Because you never know what is behind the events you're finding yourself faced with and what God is trying to tell you. Slow down. 
You know, there's four wheels of good Christian spiritual growth. Four wheels. And one of those wheels is a very important one. Meditation. Take quiet time to digest your circumstances. Pray. That's the second wheel, of course. Study. That's a third wheel. And what's the fourth wheel? Fasting. In other words, really slow down in the fast. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. Take some time. Take some time. So, my first point. Keep in mind that God's objectives in the development and maximizing of our gifts and skills concerns this from time to time. He wants to direct us. In other words, he wants to lead us. Or, if he sees us veering off, he may have to redirect us back on course. How he purges that is the question. (laughs) And sometimes is not always necessarily the most comfortable. And therein lies sometimes why we find ourselves from time to time outside of our comfort zone. What is our normal routine? What's our status quo? Because guess what? It's time to redirect this guy. He's going off the rails here. He's not really doing what he ought to be doing. And so as a result, God does indeed look at uh, directing us, of course, and or sometimes redirecting us. And what we oftentimes get bogged down with as human beings is in the process of the purging, if I can use that figuratively speaking, we become impatient because we're short-term oriented. We're very short-term oriented. We want everything to be immediate. We want everything to be quick. We want everything to happen now. Matter of fact, even if it happens now, it's too late. (laughs) We We want it immediately. You know, it's a fast food industry. It's microwave time, you know. And so, therefore, it's important for us to to get it the way we want it on our timeline. But guess what? Oftentimes, God is long-term oriented. And so, what you might be thinking in terms of a day or two, what you might be thinking in terms of a month or two, God is thinking in terms of a decade. Ooh. Wow. Give God, that sovereignty in your life. Let God be God in your life. Let him lead and direct you. And if from time to time he has to redirect you, give him that opportunity. Keep in mind 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10. Memorize that. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Memorize that scripture. That's a platform, brother. We read it first out of the box. He'll never test you beyond that which you can handle. Therefore, if it lasts more than a day, you can deal with it. Why? Because you're in it. (laughs) So you can deal with it. The question is, Martha, do you believe that? You see, and that oftentimes is the question we have to ask ourselves. Okay, Martha, do I believe that? Talking to myself, figuratively speaking, of course, me being the Martha, but I'm not really, I'm Bill. But Be that as it may, the point of it is that we keep that in mind. Over here in Psalms, 
chapter 7, real quickly here, Psalms chapter 7. Let's go back all the way back to Psalms chapter 7, real fast. Uh, hopefully you've got your Bibles greased because I'm going to go through some scriptures real quickly here to drive this theme home. Psalms 7, verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tries the hearts and the reins. This is nothing new, brethren. I'm not uh, making this stuff up. Go to Jeremiah chapter 11. Chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11 and in verse 20. Real quickly here. I'm just going to go through these scriptures fast. Um, I'm going on to Jeremiah 17. You might want to go there if you're not in Jeremiah 11 already. But, O Lord of hosts, that judges righteously, uh, righteously that tries the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Here again, the indication, God trying the reins and the heart. Jeremiah 17, you know this one probably by heart. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know the human heart? We are the masters at rationalizing out of things. We are masters at excusing ourselves. We are the masters of arguing and winning the argument every time. But notice the next, the next verse here. I, the Lord, searches or search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So that's important to recognize. If you insist on staying off the rails... God may just let you have your way. And you go further and 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 further until you whack into the wall. Whereas you had all those opportunities never to hit the wall if you would have just stopped and conceded to the redirection. But you weren't listening. You weren't taking the time, perhaps. Maybe you were too preoccupied with your own lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh or your vanity, pride, and ego. And so you said no, and those windows continued to feed your attitude, and you continued to move off the rails, and now you're hitting the wall, and you're wondering, God, why did you let this happen? And that's what people do. When, in fact, all along the way, God was trying to knock you, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, you know, and lo and behold, you just weren't getting the message, weren't re uh, re reading the, uh, the memos, as they would say. So it's important. Point two. Point two, God also uses challenges to examine us. And here again, this goes to the attitude thing. There may be a task that comes before us, and we're challenged to the task. But the question is not so much on accomplishing the task and achieving the results of the task that is at hand. It's how did we do it? What was our attitude in accomplishing it? How well did we make the execution. How, how did that all play out? That's important to God as well. Notice here in Revelation chapter 3. Let's go all the way over there to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 3, talking to the church at Philadelphia. He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in fire, that you may be rich, white in raiment, and you mayest be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear, I'm sorry, this is the church of Laodicea, not Philadelphia, uh, shame, uh, your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes 
with Isab that you may see. He was trying to redirect Laodicea here. He was telling them, look, deal with the trials because my hope is here to essentially, after this examination, redirect you. That's what he's doing in this particular case and attempting to try to get them to uh, allow themselves to be improved. Over here in James chapter 1, just a few pages uh, before, in James chapter 1, verse 12, notice this. We read, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say... When he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted, here it is now, here's the way the formula works. When he is drawn away of his own lusts, eyes, flesh, ego, vanity, or pride. When I'm drawn away and I become more important than anything else, or when I'm drawn away about something that just drives me to go hand, head over heels into debt, or when I continue to get obsessed with something that makes me feel good, whether it's some kind of an addiction of some sort to something, and I get all those little endorphins going because every time I experience whatever I'm experiencing, whether it be alcohol, drugs, or pornography, I just get high on that stuff. It just you know, gets me going. Whether it be any of those, these things drive us then, it says here, that's the way the formula works, away and entice. Then when lust conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So says the half-brother of Jesus. Beware of the way the formula works. The deceiver is out there gunning for you, gunning for me. Wants to take us out. Hates what we stand for. Wants to eliminate even the possibility of you succeeding and entering into that kingdom. And guess what? God's got your back. So from time to time, he's got to redirect or direct. From time to time, he's going to present a task to examine how you handle it. And thirdly, from time to time, if we don't get it on that redirection endeavor or initiatives he's, he's involved with, he's going to have outrightly correct. And sometimes God does have to take pretty serious uh, precautions uh, to deal with uh, protecting us from failure because he does indeed want us very much so to, uh, to be successful. First Peter chapter 4, and in verse 17, we read this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceedingly exceeding joy. So see, there's the point again. He wants you in that kingdom. So whatever trial may come on, he's encouraging us through the writing here of Peter not to think it's strange, especially in light of the fact that we've got a 2020 that we do indeed know God is doing this for our own good, for our own good. And though we may not like it, it's for our own good. 
Why? So that we can be assured that we're going to enter into his kingdom. Look at in Hebrews here. We're near the uh, back here of the, the New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 states this very uh, clearly and very poignantly. Uh, it, it says in verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, uh, or trains up as a child. He, he teaches, basically. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are a bastard, not a son. Furthermore, you have had fathers of your flesh. Now, he's going to compare something here. This is very important. He's saying, and even if you had, let's say, a non-abusive environment, because I know a lot of people have had abusive environments where their fathers have been abusive to them. But let's say you had a good dad. Let's say that you had a dad that really loved you and you, you were the beneficiary of him as the benefactor in your life. Guess what? God is even greater in that territory, in that arena, in that area. And he uses this comparison to draw an analogy to himself. Look at this. Furthermore, you had fathers of the flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. When my dad spanked me, Guess what? I had to concede. I was a little guy, and he was bigger than me, and when he spanked me, guess what? I got spanked, and that's the way it was. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days, that is, our physical fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure. My dad spanked me, so I wouldn't embarrass him in public. (laughs) I mean, bottom line was, if I was in a restaurant and I was crying and making a scene... He took me in the restroom, spanked me. Why? Because he was embarrassed that I was making a scene and making it uncomfortable for everybody else around. But God the Father is doing it for you. It's not for him. It's for you. So that you might enjoy what he is offering to all of us. And that's the point here he's trying to make. They verily, a few days chasing us, verse 10, uh, after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Homework in this category. Homework for part three, uh, point three, that is, on God using challenges to correct us. Read Psalms 51. I don't have the time. Psalms 51. Read that. Also, take the time when you have some quiet time. Don't speed read this chapter either. Don't speed read Psalms 51. And don't speed read Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, take your time. Read each line, line upon line. If need be, do a word study as you go through it and look up in the Strong's Concordance the Hebrew words because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew words and what they were translated into the English uh, from. That's very important. Proverbs 3, Psalms 51, very, very important scriptures uh, to keep in mind. Lessons there, brethren, to... Formulate and frame your thinking uh, that will afford you to be patient with God as he has his way with you. It's important we understand to allow God to be sovereign in our lives. Point four, God will challenge us sometimes, I've already uh, uh, said this in passing, to protect us. That's right. He will sometimes challenge us 
to indeed protect us. Sometimes there may be problems that appear to be problems, but really, in the long term, are blessings. Case in point, think of Joseph. Do you think for two years being in jail, and those were jails, they weren't like the jails today in some cases, when Joseph was incarcerated for two years, two years, short term, two years, that's a long time to be in jail with rats and smelly, stinky environment, eating who knows what. You know, it, it wasn't a good time. But in the long term, look what Joseph received as a result of conceding to that test. Consider Noah, 100 years plus, building an ark, mocked by the neighbors, constantly, you know, probably contracted some of them, his sons, wondering whether or not what he was doing, building this landlocked boat called the Ark, everybody calling him a crazy old man for over a hundred years having to deal with that? Long term, guess what the benefit was? Saved his life. (laughs) Saved his life. And that was a long-term plan God had, and he had to go through that year after year, month after month, day after day. That was tough. I'm sure it was very Uh, very tough in many respects. Daniel, look at Daniel. We're going through the book of Daniel, the Bible study. We're going to have a Bible study on September 16th again after services. Uh, Going to Daniel chapter 2. The lion's den, you know. His three buddies in the furnace. But in the long run, Daniel was third. Third in line to rule the empire of Babylon. Long-term. God is very long-term oriented. He wants to protect you from yourself in many cases. Look at David. How many years did he run for his life under the, the hunting of Saul? How did David deal with that? Well, you can read the story of David's life and how he dealt with that. And he dealt with it very gracefully and very faithfully. He wasn't a whiner. Oh, he had his moments, but he was a man of faith and was a man who did generate, uh, generate good results. And, of course, Christ himself. All these men, at times, going through those purgings, figuratively speaking, I'm sure at the time those purgings were going on, were really, you know, in some cases, very, very concerned and not very comfortable in that. But in the long run, because they were patient with God, allowing God to have his way with them they were allowed to um, benefit in the long term. Romans chapter 8, and over here, and in verse 28, here's another very underpinning scripture to always keep in mind, brethren. 8, verse 28, book of Romans. And we know that all things God works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's another underpinning scripture to keep in mind with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very, very important. The last point I want to cover here, and since we're in the book of Romans, I'll turn over here to chapter 5. The last point, God uses challenges to perfect us. 
that is to mature us, to afford us the fruition, the growth, to afford and allow us to become the patient, the patient dealers with God and uh, how he deals with us in our lives. Chapter 5, book of Romans, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulations works patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us all. Very, very important uh, point in all of this. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. I wanted to just kind of cover this real quickly here because time's running out on me. Chapter 5 and in verse 10, this comes from a Greek word, katartizo, katartizo. And it means basically here in chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 10, God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while makes you perfect. And that perfect word, that word, uh, English word, comes from this Greek word I just mentioned, and it means to restore, it means to adjust, it means to repair. He wants to repair you, restore you, and to make you better. There's another Greek word, artios, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, translated into the English, perfect. It means to refresh or complete. And there's another one in Colossians 1, 28, telikos, which also translated in the English, perfect. You miss the meaning. It means to be complete, growth, full age, mature. God wants, for all intents and purposes, to repair, restore, to refresh us that we might be mature in this. That's what he wants us to become, to become perfect. That takes purging from time to time. And that takes and requires directing and redirecting from time to time. It takes examination, not just how you accomplished the task, but also how you did it. What was your attitude in doing it? And, of course, sometimes it requires correcting because we miss the mark. We sin. We miss the mark. That's what sin means. And so, therefore, a correction needs to be executed or engaged in. And, of course, sometimes he has to protect us from ourselves. And that may take a different form of this purging that we're talking about. So when trials are occurring, brethren, keep in mind, as I say, God could be directing or redirecting. He could be doing things for examination purposes. He could be doing things for correcting. He might even be doing things to protect you from yourself. But it's all for the purpose of getting you restored, refreshed, and matured so that you don't miss the kingdom. He wants you so badly in that kingdom. So, what a caring God we do have. But the real question, the real question that is really at the root of all of this is when he returns, will he find faith in you? <laughs> 